Corinthians chapter 2. Todd. Yes. So, um, one of the things we've talked about over the years, one of the big secrets about worship leaders. Oh, man. <laughs> what are we going to reveal right now? I mean, but you've said it before. They, they want to preach, right? Worship leaders want to be preachers so bad. Worship leaders want to be preachers so bad. And preachers. Yeah. Here's the other side of the, of the deal. Preachers want to be worship leaders. You want to, hey, you want to. No. <laughs> but we do. We want to come up and we want to rock the stage, okay? <laughs> we, we dream about stuff like that. I mean, I am telling you, that there, I, I am in awe of people who speak music. I am. I, I mean, people who have perfect pitch, people who, who get it, they hear something, they know what key it's in. But to me, I'm telling you, it's a total mystery to me. I mean, it's, it's like hidden. I can't access it. I, I can learn certain things. I mean, I can play the guitar. In fact, I've played with the Todd Wright band before. Um, I, what, he didn't let me plug my guitar in. Uh, and I'm... 97% sure the microphone was actually turned off, but I did. I had a guitar and a microphone of me in the whole nine yards. But, I, but it is something, honestly, I, I, can, I could spend my whole life, and it's not anything I ever truly would understand. Ever truly is it going to click for me. Well, in, in, a, in a way, that sets us up for what Paul wants to talk to us about today. He wants to talk to us about a mystery. He wants to talk to us about wisdom, real wisdom, wisdom that's ancient and wisdom that is eternal, wisdom that um, what was in place actually long before the world was in place, wisdom that transcends any of our abilities to even be able to access it, and even if we did access it, to even understand what the implications are, to understand what it actually means. This is what Paul's talking about today. First Corinthians chapter 2 is one of the most beautiful and instructive and hopeful passages for us as believers. It, it is... Um, it's part of what it tells us, but in the Bible, Paul's telling us, how do we as believers, where does Christian teaching come from? Where, where does our knowledge of who God is come from? How do we grow in this knowledge of God? How do we become more like God's son? who the Bible says over and over again, we are in Christ Jesus, and Christ Jesus is in us. How, how does that become more real in our life? And it's a, it's a beautiful passage, and I, I'm going to get most of the way through it this morning, and I'll pick up right at the end of it next week, and, and we'll go into chapter 3, because it equally has some important things for us with regard to Christian teaching and and discipleship, and spiritual growth, and all, all of those things that we, that we care about, or we want to care about. Here's kind of where we are. Um, maybe I'd say it this way. It's, the, it's like the bacon. 
I heard two things this morning I have never heard up here. Uh, uh, dang Skippy. I have not heard. I've heard it. I haven't heard it up here. That was awesome. And the church is bacon. I like that. I'm changing the title of this sermon to bacon. All right. So, so here's the deal. This is where we are in 1 Corinthians. Paul's writing this letter to this church in Corinth. He planted the church. It's now five years later. Corinth is a metropolitan, cosmopolitan place. It's a, um, a, an intellectual capital and an economic capital and uh, the place where philosophers and, and Stoics and Epicureans and um, the thinkers of the day gather, as well as the entrepreneurs and businessmen and politicians and it's an important place and it and it was a place where people really like to feel important and so Paul's writing to this church because after five years the the church is having difficult difficulty looking different than the city that they're in and he has to begin by telling them Listen, I've heard some things going on, and you guys are quarreling, and you're fighting, and you've got divisions, and they're having these divisions over different personalities that people are following and different teachers. And Paul's saying, look, we don't divide up in groups as believers. We don't try to outdo each other. We don't try to manufacture importance over against each other. We don't measure ourselves and conclude that we're part of the betters. We don't do that. Because, he goes on to say there at the end of, of chapter 1, he says, listen, when it comes to our being in the church, our being in Christ, well, we didn't bring anything to the table. We're in Christ and he's everything. So, so anything, everything about us is measured in relationship to our being in Christ. Christ. That, that's what he says at the very end of chapter 1. He says, so, so, um, he, so that nobody, no human being might boast in the presence of God. God did everything to bring us to salvation. And because of him, because of God and everything that he's done, he says we are now in Christ Jesus who's become to us wisdom from God. And he says this because Man, this is a people that cared a lot about wisdom. They were all over trying to get wisdom. That, that's, you, they woke up thinking about more wisdom. They go to bed thinking, and it was their, it was their pursuit. That's what they were trying to get. And Paul says that's a vain pursuit. All oh, the wisdom you're searching for, this worldly wisdom, the, the wisdom of the day, it's nothing. But Jesus has become to us wisdom, and in that, He's our righteousness that's how we're rightly related to God and he's our sanctification it's how we're becoming holy our redemption our, our being bought from slavery our being set free our, our ultimately our glorification of our our um, standing face to face in in bodies that are forever so that when we boast he says what we boast about is the Lord. So, so in the chapter 1, you might say it this way. Salvation is from God. He, he talks about our calling when we became believers. 
And he tells us three times, God chose us, God chose us, God chose us. And he did this, Paul says, through the preaching of the gospel, which he calls the cross of Christ in verse 17, or the word of the cross in verse 18, or, or we preach Christ crucified in, in chapter 1, verse 23. He, he calls Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And all this is salvation from God through the gospel being proclaimed. So here at the beginning of chapter 2, the first five verses, and then we'll look on past that, he's going to describe the, the preaching bit of it, the, the proclaiming part. And, and he's going to make the case, just as salvation comes to us from God, so that preaching and teaching comes to us from God. Look, look at how Paul says it. Here beginning in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm just going to read the first five verses. I'll, I'll talk about them briefly and then we'll move on. He, he says this though. He says, and when I came to you, brothers or brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I... I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, meaning the wisdom of the day. I didn't speak like the, uh, the philosophers and the, uh, the debaters and the, um, you know, the highfalutin academics of the day. That's not how I came and talked to you. But when I came, it was in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he starts by telling us that this is the content. So this is the message. When I came to you, and he reminds us back in chapter 1, Christ sent me to preach the gospel. I didn't come with this air or vibe of superiority. I didn't come to talk down to you or to lift myself up. Listen, beware when you're listening to people who are speaking, if, if you're catching the sense they're there to lift themselves up, go away. He, he says, look, my manner was humble, my words were plain for, for Paul. But preaching and teaching and communicating these truths about God, it, it wasn't about being impressive. It wasn't about being admired. He, he realized that, that in the world of communication, he knows this. When people are impressive or, or they're admired, they're effective. It doesn't even matter what they say. It can be total nonsense. So verse 2, after this negative statement of what I didn't come, he, he says uh, positively, this is how I came to you. I decided, which means Paul's deliberate resolve to not impress the hearers with his knowledge or his intellect or his rhetoric. He didn't want to risk in any way people walking away from his message talking about him. He wanted Jesus Christ and, and him crucified to be heard and understood and, and remembered. But he, you might say it this way, Paul's aim was to hide himself 
as he sought to unveil the wisdom of God. I, I look, so I've spoken enough and stood in front of enough people and have heard enough comments in the afterward that I'll tell you what my favorite thing is that I, that I think people would say in response to, uh, to, to, to preaching or to teaching. I'll tell you what it is for me. And this is not like I'm trying to give you the script of what to say to me after today. But when I feel like, okay, I hit the mark. I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish when somebody else said, you know what, I, I can't wait to get home and open this up and dig into this for myself. I, I can't wait to read more of this. Then the focus has been on the right. I'm just a tour guide, okay? I'm here to show you the sights. I'm here to show you the glory and the, and the beauty and the majesty. You're not supposed to pay attention to me. I'm here to point out the beauty and the mystery. I'm just the tour guide. That's what Paul is saying. It's just, so two things. He, say, he, say, he says that, uh, it includes the, the testimony of God. Paul, Paul here, he, he's preaching. It's supposed to be the testimony about God or Scripture. I mean, the Bible needs to be preached. And secondly, it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. But in other words, Paul's saying, listen, I am all about the cross. I, I, I talked all about the cross. And invariably, people will say, well, isn't there anything else we should talk about? I mean, what about joy or discipleship or marriage or, or, or parenting or, or dating or, or courtship or, or growing old or preparing to die? I mean, how do we, shouldn't we talk about those things too? And I think what Paul would say is, of course we do, but it, all of it is tethered to the cross. I mean, you can't have parenting apart from the death of Jesus because, and listen, if you're not a parent, you're going to think, he's being really hard. No, I'm telling you, they're sinners. They come to you that way. And it doesn't take long until you realize they're mad and they're throwing a tantrum. They don't even have words. They have not even learned the English language yet. And they're communicating to you. Who do you think you are? You only have hope for that little sinner in Jesus who died on the cross to forgive sin, to reconcile people to God, to make them new people. And then marriage needs Jesus. You can't possibly live united and in fellowship, forgiving and being forgiven without the death of the very Son of God. Joy is tethered to Jesus. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I, that the thief, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And how, how does he make that life possible? By dying for us, taking our sin upon him, paying the penalty of all that we owe cosmically and eternally. Marriage needs Jesus, and joy needs to be tethered to Jesus, and friendship, and all of it to his death, and his burial, and his resurrection. It means we can't talk about anything without talking about the person of Jesus, and his death, 
and his burial and his resurrection to take away sins. And Paul says, listen, you guys want to talk about 10 things, 15 things, 20, everybody wants to talk about something. I'm going to talk about the one thing that fixes all of that. And that's Jesus. So, so preacher preaches and he opens his Bible and connects everything to Jesus. And his method, verse 3, we learn about Paul here. He, he, he could, you know, he says, I, I, when I was with you, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And, and he could be talking about what I think when he was at the end of this long second missionary journey. And, you know, everybody that he encountered tried to kill him or, or mock him and also, could be that, you know, as he arrives in Corinth and he sees the sin and the wealth and the, you know, the society in Corinth, it all felt too big to, for him and, and too much. And he was in over his head. And the audience was intimidating and the setting was in, intimidating. And I remember when I was in seminary and I was invited to preach at a church in Austin, Texas. And I'd known about this church, and I'd had a couple of guys, classmates of mine, that had gone down there. And, um, you know, so the reports about the church, it was a great church, beautiful church. But the, there were um, some really Im- important people that attended that church. And I wish I had never asked ab- about that, because I, I got so intimidated. It was a church, it was a bunch of fancy people, and, and I was so intimidated before I even got there. And I have to tell you, I showed up. They would say, we want you to preach something from the Old Testament. And I'm like, great, that's my, that's my jam. I'm all over that. So went and preached Zechariah chapter 14. It's the worst sermon I have ever preached in my whole life. And here's the worst part about it. Halfway through, I knew it was the worst sermon I had ever preached. And there's nothing you can do. If you're standing up here and you realize I got nothing but the rest of these terrible notes, all right? And I never connected with them. And we had some friends who were in our small group, uh, Christy and Mike, and, and they had been in Austin for the weekend, and, and, and she would send out to the small group, hey, pray, pray for us, because we were in Dallas. And, um, and they just said, well, we're come to the church. And I remember, you know, and they're sitting right over there, and I mean, she wouldn't even look at me. She was so, you know, and afterwards, I'm like, hey, Mike and Christy, and they were like gone, you know, I mean, it was that bad. And worse than that, we had to go to lunch with these fancy people afterwards. And there's nothing worse than eating with people you just preached terribly to. Because they're trying to make small talk. And you're like, none of us wants to do this. Why can't, can we just go? And then make matters worse. Here's what happened to me. So we're leaving. And we're pulling out. And I, I mean, literally, I, I cannot get away from Austin, Texas fast enough. And we pulled out of this country club and I am, I'm headed straight for 35 and straight north to Dallas and I get pulled over by a DPS. And he says, what are you in such a hurry for? And I said, well, I said, I'm so sorry. I was down here. I was preaching in this church and I'm trying to get back to Dallas because I have a uh, a class. It was a Sunday afternoon class I had to do, and I'm trying to get back for that. And I, you know, I've got my family here, and I'm sorry, officer. And he said, "Well, what? You know, what church did you preach at?" So I told him. Takes my license, goes back to his car, comes back in a few minutes. He says, "Hey, I'm just going to give you a warning. I called my mom, um, who goes to that church." <laughs> Jesus. 
told me to tell you it wasn't that bad. And, and he let me go. This is the worst day of my life. Fear and trembling and, and weakness. But Paul, this is what he's saying. Look, the, the, the presentation of the gospel, it's not a sales pitch. It's not a TED Talk. It's not a performance. It's not an explanation. In, in verse 4, he says, listen, it is a demonstration of the spirit and of the power. Now, now this is what he's going to spend the rest of the chapter talking about. How the spirit of God opens our minds, make, makes visible. The, the word, the theological word is illumination. How the Spirit illumines the wisdom of God to us and how God wants us to know. And the reason is, he says in verse 5, is because well, your faith, it, it can't be grounded in the, in the logical, reasonable, empirical philosophical arguments of men. There's nothing that'll undo your faith faster if it's the product of your own reasoning or your own rationale. That's what he's saying. And so he, he moves on to say in verse 6, he says, yet among the mature... And we're going to talk more about the mature next week. But this is the believer. This is the believer who's walking in the Spirit, who's, who's desiring, who wants to be receptive. So, so among the mature, we do impart wisdom, he says. There is a wisdom to be imparted. Although, it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass Away. This wisdom that is to be imparted, this is Christian teaching. He's going to talk about it. It's to be imparted in verse 6, and, and, and we do impart in verse 7, and in verse 13, and we impart this in words. It's teaching. It's the content. It, it's, it's the faith that's passed on, and the Bible is the foundation of the Christian church. And he says, listen, to the mature, we do impart wisdom. Now, he's going to say, your problem is you're not mature, but that's for next week, all right? And then he's going to say four things about wisdom. Look at these four things, all right? He, he says in verse 7, but we impart, and then here's how it starts, a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Four things about wisdom. Now, before you get to the four, it just reminds you of what he's already said about wisdom. In chapter 1, verse 21, he says this wisdom is of God. That, that preaching what the world thinks is foolish, that's how God is going to save those who believe. That's part of the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is defined as the gospel or the cross of Christ or, or Christ crucified. But here in verse 7, he says, um, 
Uh, well, verse 6, he tells us, first of all, it's not of this age or the rulers of this age. It is not from the best of the society or the philosophers or the politicians or the prominent or the famous or the important. Because all of that is doomed to pass away. It's decaying. It's failing. It's expiring. It's flawed. Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, he says, heaven and earth will pass away. But not one word, not one jot or tittle of the law of, of God's word will pass away. Second thing here in verse 7, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. The word there's mystery. It, it's God's wisdom. And, and when he says hidden or, or secret, he's referring to something previously hidden that's now been revealed, like a secret to be shared among a select few. God's made the mystery of the gospel crystal clear to believers. That's how, that's how faith was born in you. Was that mystery of Jesus all of a sudden was so clear to you. Your eyes were open, your, your mind and your ears, and you're like, oh, That's what God's done. But the gospel, it remains obscure, hidden to those that, that have yet to enter into faith. It's not human wisdom, it's divine wisdom. It's not natural, it's supernatural. We're going to find out it's not discovered by man. You can't discover it, you can't search for it, you can't find it. It has to be revealed by God. In other words... We don't, as humans, find this truth. The truth finds us. What God himself reveals in his own time, it can't be discovered through observation or investigation or intuition or human logic. These empirical means can never discover the depths of God's mystery which can be revealed only by the Holy Spirit through faith. So he speaks of the wisdom of God in a, in a secret. Something that's been revealed, which could not be known were it not revealed by God in heaven. And that's the truth of God's word. We'd never know anything about God in heaven if it were not for the fact that he revealed truth concerning himself. He's not a God who must reveal himself because we ask him to. He's a sovereign God. And so consequently, he makes himself known. Only, only may be known if he makes himself known. Well, it, it's, it's not wisdom of this age, and it's a secret and hidden wisdom. Notice also in the second part of verse 7, he says it's a... It's decreed before the ages for our glory. Decreed, that, that word there means predestined. It means it's ancient, it's eternal. Paul uses the same imagery in Ephesians 4 when he says, God chose him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world. In, in the gospel of the incarnation and the death and the resurrection of the Son of God came in a surprising way and came in the middle of our history 
But God intended it. He decreed it. He predestined it long before time began. That's what he's saying. And look at verse 8 and 9. It further describes what he means here. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It was not, it could not have been understood. It's absurd to the thinkers of this age. It can't be understood. Peter, in his sermon in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 3, he talks about Jesus, this Jesus who was delivered up, he says in chapter 2, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him and, and, and killed him by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up. It was impossible for him to be held by death. In chapter 3, he says, listen, you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be set free. And you killed the author of life. That is a, what an act. Who'd you, you killed the author of life. Whom God raised from the dead. And he says, I know you acted in ignorance. As did your rulers. You, you couldn't have known. If you could have, if you, if you knew, you'd have never done that. Then Paul quotes there in verse 9, it, it, what no eye seen or ear heard. It, it, it's Isaiah 64, the, the knowledge of God has no parallel. The Trinitarian God can't be reasoned out. You could never get there. You could never start here and reason and reason and reason and reason and reason and come to a place of a Trinitarian God who would send the second person of this Trinity, the Son, the eternal Son of God, out of eternity and into history and to be clothed with flesh and to grow into the stature of a man for the purpose of taking your sin upon himself, becoming sin, becoming your substitute. You'd never reason that. You'd never come up with it. One writer, he says it this way, uh, one commentator, he says, those divine purposes are too profound for human ingenuity. No matter how clever, to discover or unravel on its own can only be imparted by divine revelation. Which brings us to verse 10. Look, look at the fourth thing he says about that. these things, this wisdom. God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. This wisdom has been revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, from verse 10 through the end of this chapter, we, we, get, um, we get in some ways a systematic theology on the Word of God. Paul's going to give it to us. Revelation, inspiration, illumination. 
It's revelation. It's, it's God's mind to the author's mind, the unveiling of God's word to, to men, to, to the men who would, who would write it down, truth that is unveiled. And then inspiration speaks of God's mind to the author's mind and then through the author's pen. And in that way, God has secured this infallible, inerrant communication of truth. Peter says it in 1 Peter 1.21. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. And then illumination. That's when God's mind is understood through the living words of Scripture. And illumination is the work of the Holy Spirit. In giving us understanding, and enlightenment, and reading, and understanding the Word of God. Even the depths of God, he says. Verse 11, for who knows a, a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. Here, here's what he's saying in verse 11. You, you can't read my mind. You might think you know what I'm thinking. But you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how many different things I can think of while I'm standing here preaching to you. Sometimes I have to push it away sometimes. Like, is, is Jesse Batson really going to have the TV out there this afternoon during the fall festival with the cowboy game on it? I've had that thought since I've been standing up here preaching. Isn't that, isn't that horrible, Winfrey? It is, and I put it away. It's, it's... And you don't know what I... The, the, the closest would be my wife, all right? Leslie. But she can only guess because of experience about things I'm thinking. But she can't truly know my mind. This is what he said. We can't read God's mind. There's no way to know what's going on in the mind of God, only the Spirit. So, so no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We don't access, have access to the mind of God through anyone or anything on earth. In John chapter 16, and I have here, John 16, 7 through 15. Walk through this briefly. I don't have time to walk through that briefly. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at that though. John 16, 7 through 15. This is where Jesus says, he tells the disciples, listen, I'm going to go away. And it's, it's better for you that I go away. And I promise you, there's never anything the disciples did not believe more when Jesus says, it's better that I go away. Every single one of them said, I... Jesus, we're with you, but that's crazy talk. Jesus says, no, it is better that I go away because I'm going to send another. My Father's going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to communicate to you. Every, he's going to bring to mind everything that I've ever said and all the things you haven't understood or you've forgotten. The Holy Spirit's going to make sure you understand those. It's an amazing passage. That's what Paul is unpacking here. He's describing what Jesus promised to his disciples in John 16. What was revealed. It, it, he says in verse 13, we, we impart this in words. It became words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths 
to those who are spiritual. So who can understand it? Oh, Paul's going to begin to answer that. In 14, he's going to say it's not the natural man, not the natural person. Not, not the unbeliever, not, not the one who's outside of the faith. They cannot understand these things. Only the spiritual person. Only the one who has the Spirit of God. And he's going to end in verse 16. He's going to say, because of all this, listen, we have the mind of Christ. If we just understood this, The saving message of the gospel that Christ died for sinners is a message that can be expanded and include all the blessings that flow out of what happened on Calvary's cross. All the truths, all of them of divine redemption, they're found, they find their beginning right there at the cross, our justification, our sanctification, the coming of the Holy Spirit. All the blessings that are bound up. Seminary, Christology class, talk about the 33 things that happened when a person believes in Christ. All of these things. You're adopted into the family of God. Your sins are forgiven. You're justified. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. All of these things. The cross is the beginning of that. And God wants us to know. He wants us to know all of it. He, he says it in verse 7, it, would God decreed it before the ages for our glory. Oh man, that, that's what we were created for. Before sin came in and wrecked our minds and, and wrecked our ability to see this world with divine eyes. That's what we were created for, the glory of we were created for to enjoy. But because of sin, it's out of our reach. What does Romans 3.23 say? All have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God that we were created for. And God said, look, before the ages I decreed, this word would come to them, to you, to me. It's because of the Spirit's work. We have the mind of Christ. I have this word and I have the Spirit to help me understand it and to clarify and to, and to guide me. And I want to be someone who sees God. I want to see God when I read his word and ponder his word under, you know, this infallible teacher that you have. No, Holy Spirit's infallible. I am fallible. See, I just said it wrong. You know there. It's a proof. The Holy Spirit's our perfect guide. So every time you open the Bible, you, you bow your head, you ask for the Holy Spirit to give you light. He's promised that the Spirit would be our teacher. And we submit to Him. That's our part. And then God helps us become those people who truly see the mature. 
All the other problems come in, in life. They, they, become, listen, they become into right focus when we understand that we are individuals under the sovereign hand of a loving God who has given us the greatest gift that could ever be given. His Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. And we look forward to the glory for which we've been prepared. If you would, would you bow with me? Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd take the truths of your word. They would just jump right off the page for us. And, and they do that because, because your spirit who is present and indwelling us would illumine our minds. Father, we'd, we'd submit to your word. We'd, we'd take our eyeballs and we'd put them on the black words on this white page. We would ponder it. We would press into you. We would say, help me to see. And Father, we'd, we'd be illumined. The, the Spirit would make bright to help us see what we could not otherwise see, to understand what we could otherwise not understand. Father, we would experience what it means to commune with you in your word and that we would respond back to you in prayer. This conversation and fellowship and relationship you've called us into and made the way for us to enjoy. Father, I pray there wouldn't be anybody that left here this morning that wasn't thirsting for and hungering for that in their life. So, Father, we ask this the only way we can, and that's in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen.